Yeah, I've uh, I've we're at Kessel Grayskull today because by the, the power of Grayskull, <laughs> because the children are home from school and my yeah. children sleep until much later than they should, and your children are probably running around like feral animals. Yeah, yeah. Six o'clock, Max typically uh, saunters out of his room, stomping, and he doesn't know how to just walk to the bathroom or to the den. He's this little eight-year-old guy. He's very dense. And he's boom, 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 very boom, dense. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, he's a dense kid. Like you pick him up, and he doesn't look like he's that heavy. Yeah, sort of like my pug. <laughs> Just well, like actually, the, my pug does look like he's, he's very heavy. He's very Your son pug. looks like a willow wisp. Did the little guy? Yeah, he's dense. Is he? He's Is it pre- all muscles? It feels like. That. Yeah, he's just like he's like a, a bowling ball. Mm. And uh, Noah's pretty wispy though. He's you know he subsists on uh, sugar. He's like a hummingbird. <laughs> <laughs> <He's> just, <laughs> <laughs> just from lollipop to that's ice pop. fucking great yeah. you just, bird jokes as you are a birder I, yeah I am I didn't do it today on RMA shtick I'll just have to wing it <laughs> you want to just start the show somehow then uh, <clears throat> I, you know I've got the like I said I have the Henry Spielvogel throat clearing disease <laughs> who's Henry Spielvogel that's my grandfather <laughs> that is a hell of a name. Was, yeah. was he a lawyer too? He was not a lawyer. He was a medic in the army. And he like had, his whole life? Um, a lot of it. I mean, it, it colored his entire life because he was injured uh, and he got a purple heart. He was one of those guys that would run onto the battlefield with the white cross on them, I guess. And he was he in the W-2? He was in W-2. And uh, as my mother says, he was a war hero and he always had one arm shorter than the other. And we'd go visit them in Texas and I'll never forget one day I said, Grandpa. High fives all around. He's like, Grandpa, what's wrong with your arm? <laughs> and he goes, ah, just shrapnel. And uh, and I would go to my mom. I said, Mommy, what's shrapnel? And she just looked at her father and she's like, Dad. <laughs> and uh, so that's Henry Spielberg. Wow. And we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages. <clears throat> the podcast <laughs> about two. Knockus. Middle Middle-aged suburban dads in the pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat X. I'm Mike R. And boy, do we have a show for you today on RMA. Nat X and Mike R. in the morning. We're hanging out, and we've got a new jingle. You got nothing this week, No, I don't. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Nat and Mike in the morning. <laughs> Just wait, it builds. <laughs> it's really dark. Yeah, I know. It's like it's like we're coming for you. Like, <laughs> you hear that synth? Yeah. And the piano, man. <laughs> Yo, Kyle, that was pretty cool. I have to say, it was a little dark, not exactly the energy I'm going for, for our morning show. You're looking for something like this, right? (laughs) 
right? I mean, that's that's kind of where your head's at. It's a little thing. dramatic. That's like important news update, right? It's music, you know. Yeah. Well, we'll keep working on it, Kyle. That was very interesting. Very cool. Yeah. Not the vibe I'm going for. I'm trying to get people excited, not scared that we're on the... <laughs> I don't you want should be to... terrified of Mike and Nat in the I morning. Can... It shouldn't be foreboding. I'm going to stick a shiv in your ear hole. But no, I appreciate you, Kyle. That was cool. <laughs> um, we'd like another one each week. <laughs> we're going to do a series. I mean, we should have a contest. Um, Except we, only Kyle would enter. Kyle would win <laughs> because he'd be the, he'd be the sole entrant. Um, so I'd just like to say, um, you want to thank, you want to tell everybody that this episode of recovery in the middle ages, ages. is sponsored by recovery in the middle ages, Patreon. Yes. Recovery in the middle ages, Patreon. What is it? It's a members only subscription service featuring the discord, private message, chat and video meeting platform, but we haven't tried out the, the real video meetings on there. Maybe we should start working on that. Um, but it's, it's a, you can do video meetings on there. You could do everything. Apparently we just haven't sort of maxed out the uh, potential here. So you join it and we've got some video interviews up there, video episodes. Um, that's going to be coming more and more. One of the best things is you get like, depending on what tier you are, I think it's like three bucks, five bucks, maybe eight. And then at the hundred dollar level, you can come over and I'll make you dinner. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You can, uh, We'll come see Actually, you. Actually, you can. Christine will make you dinner. <laughs> she will definitely <laughs> make you dinner. <laughs> Not me. Um, but we're having a lot of fun on there. Uh, <clears throat> and you get a mug at a certain level. These cool mugs that cool mugs that my son and a sticker. designed or a sticker, sticker if you're at the low level. And it's just a lot of fun. Also, um, you know, join up, support the show, and uh, we appreciate it. I have an announcement to make. Okay. Okay. If we can get fifteen new Patreon members, yeah, before next the next show, yeah. You and I will play pickleball and record it mm-hmm. and put it up on uh, on the Patreon. This it, we, it will, <laughs> will our wives have to agree to it, or no, it no, will no. just be you and me, you one and on me, because somebody has to hold the camera. All right, so we will. Yes, fifteen new patrons, <laughs> and you will see a pickleball tournament. Tournament, yeah, yes, between. I feel like you would kick my ass because you have a, a, lar- a huge base of tennis experience, whereas I have none. I might be pretty good. I'm good at mm. anything with a racket because of a, it's a racket. Of the, uh, tennis-related abuse I suffered as a child. Hey, uh, guess what? What? When you know better, you do better. True. But sometimes doing better depends on what tools are available for you. Right. What kind of tools are in your toolbox, Nat? <laughs> you don't want to know. <laughs> Uh, As two men in recovery from alcohol use disorder, we know how difficult it can be to seek help for a disease that's so stigmatized. If you're struggling to get sober, Soberlink can help. Soberlink. Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system was specifically designed to help you in your recovery. Mm -hmm. It's not just some breathalyzer you buy at the store. Nope. It's It's our only advertiser. Can we just be nice to them? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Small enough to fit in your pocket. (laughs) And discreet enough to use in public or in front of your children, mm-hmm. Soberlink devices combine facial recognition, tamper detection, and real-time results so friends and family know instantly that you're sober and working towards your recovery goals. I highly recommend using it while staring directly into your child's <laughs> eyes. Blow it to assert dominance. <laughs> This system would have been a game changer for Nat and I during early recovery when every bit of accountability helps. And then there's your part. Yeah, I really can't think of a better 
tool for tracking and sharing progress and rebuilding trust in relationships. Soberlink. <laughs> I can't think of a better tool than you, Nat. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, you're folks, my favorite tool. I feel like we we have to qualify the shtick. It is a really cool tool, and if you listen, oh, sorry, well, I forgot. We have more. Make twenty twenty three a memorable one. Do it. If I don't give them the link, is it right, 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 is, right, right, is right. it even an advertisement? No. It, uh, visit www.soberlake.com slash middle hyphen ages mm-hmm. to sign up and receive fifty bucks off your device, guys. Off your tool, seriously. Fifty though. bucks off your tool. The great G Money Smooth Grant Boykin, author. He had, uh, the, he had that tool. He. T- he talked about Soberlink at length, and I was always impressed with this idea. Um, it seems really cool. I think Grant got a lot out of it. It's accountability. It's accountability. And um, listen, they're the only advertiser right now. <laughs> and um, please go fill something out. Well, no, there's... What? Podbean puts some weird shit at the beginning he, of every show. That's true. We do have those. We have things. no say over that, by the way. I, have like, I don't even know what the <clears throat> fuck it is. I've never even heard it. I heard one of them, and it's like... Um, it's another parenting podcast, I think. Is it? Yeah. Is this a parenting podcast? Because God help our fucking <laughs> it's, kids. It's something about dads being tough or something. <laughs> yeah. But look, um, so how much like money do cool. we get off that? It's not much, no, right? A couple dollars. <laughs> I mean, it just it, feels good. You know, <laughs> it, it, I just, I hearken back to that fellow who left that review saying that yeah. you guys get paid through advertising. And I'm thinking not all that well. We had someone say that? <laughs> yeah, it was the guy who, who uh, said we're as exciting as sharpening pencils. Oh, yeah, the ads. He was offended that, oh. you know, we had advertising, and I'm it's, like, oh, I don't know what It's sort of you. just wishful thinking, I feel like. If there's an ad on the show, it sort of, like, means we'll get more ads someday. <laughs> I don't know. But, yes, we do not do this. All I really want is to be able to afford better coffee. <laughs> really, yeah. I'm not. I'm definitely not in this for the money, folks. Well, I'll tell you why I joined a Patreon for another, for Dopey, let's say. Way early on. I also am on the Dopey Patreon. Yeah, like, when uh, I listen to Dopey all the time, and I, it's all free, and I said, I really just want to support this show. And so, um, you can think of it that way. Um, yeah, I never got shit from that. Like, I didn't get stickers or socks or any kind of bullshit. Well, Dave's always dropping shit on people. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's got a lot of content, um, but yeah, they don't do the, um, the merch stuff. But He has been lot, really hitting you know, the... This, not, this isn't a dopey ad, although sure you guys like should it. all listen to dopey. It's yeah, if, you, if you're here from hearing an ad of ours or Dave talking about us on dopey, welcome. But it seems like he's putting a lot of... Excuse me, I had an egg and it got, got stuck up here. The it, eggs. Yeah. Uh, on Patreon. He's yeah. putting stuff on Patreon is what I'm trying to say. But uh, again, this is not an ad for Dopey Patreon. This is, <laughs> is an ad for RMA Yes, yeah, so join RMA. And- so, in fact, don't join Dopey Patreon. <laughs> no. If you can only join one Patreon yes. this a- year, may- let it be us. But I recommend both. So Sober Link, guys, it's really cool. Sign up. All right, enough of Sober and, um, Jesus Christ. Not we're gonna, we should get them money. on the show. Oh, I don't think so. Yeah. Really? Isn't there someone like a salesperson that like... Oh, boy. We should cold call no, the nothing sales Nothing says office. awesome content like having a salesperson for your advertiser on the show. Well, they could sell. We could call them just a cold call. Like, tell me about Soberlink and then press record. Hmm? That's giving them way too much space on the show. They're great. They're great. And they do good work. Well, I love Soberlink. Okay. Shall we move along? Welcome to all the monsters listening stateside, around the world, down the street, across the table, and right next door. Welcome all. Settle in, buckle up, and get ready for excitement, comedy, tragedy, intrigue, mystery, and so much more. Do we have mystery this week? Um, maybe. 
We don't know what the show's going to be about. Yeah, I know. It's a mystery. It is no, a mystery. Not 100% true. So, um, welcome. Y- we're a little crazed because you're going to fucking Washington, D.C. tomorrow to do patriotic things. And I'm yes. going to California next week. So, mm-hmm. we had to do at least one show, right? Right. In these two weeks. We and did. And I can't do one next week because I'm right. going to be back in the fucking thing. So, but we're taking a dark week next week because you're going away. Yeah. And uh, tomorrow, I just was able to get this show in, but... My wife planned a trip to Washington, D.C. Uh, it's only three days, but yet I still get the same amount of... Patriotism. Patriotism, anxiety. <laughs> oh, right. And stress. Yeah. Um, but it should be a fun trip. And um, I guess I'm looking forward to it. I just, I hate leaving work. I heard some... So you and I were out to dinner on Friday with yeah, our wives. That was great. I posted some pictures in the, in the Discord. What's the matter? Um, it's not... Cans. Your cans? Yeah, which one is it? Testing. Okay, perfect. How's that? Too high? A little. Yeah, it's perfect. Okay, good. All right. Mm -hmm. So we were out to dinner on Friday night, which was interesting. We went to an Indian restaurant. Yes. And that was delightful. It was a Uh, date. We had an, yeah, sort of. Well, we don't go out much, so. No, we we don't. We don't. At the, it's at a weird place, that restaurant. It's like on a busy road. You got to make all these weird U-turns and fucking shit. And then you finally get into the parking lot. Yeah, we couldn't find it at first. And we, you know, but. But uh, the wives um, had a good time. I had a good time. Did you? I had a great time. Did you? <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was Indian food, Mahal, I think it was called. And, um, you know, once in a while we go out and we couldn't think of anyone else we'd rather try a new restaurant with than Mike and Aaron. Yeah. And uh, it was great. It you was know, great. Uh, I love Indian food. I used to live in Little India, um, which is a town on Long Island. Do you Island. play the sitar as well? <laughs> or the harmonium? I'm trying to think if I have a sitar. I have a bazooki, not a sitar. Oh. I've always wanted one, though. That's Greece. Yeah, it's it's not really even close, but I do have a bazooka. I also have always wanted to play the sitar, and I almost got one for Christmas last year. If you get one, I promise I'll play it. <laughs> There's a music school in uh, Hicksville over there. They teach the sitar, the harmonium, yeah, what's the tabla that? drums. The harmonium is like a um, squeeze box. It's an organ. Oh, they they play it in uh, so kirtans. Squeeze their organs. Yeah, you squeeze the organ, and sound comes out. <laughs> yeah, you um your your cousin Millard. Millard it plays the harmonium. He does. He does. Why? What? How do I know this? Yes, we've had this conversation. We did. He has a yoga studio. He's into Krishna stuff. Yes. Yeah. True. So I just kind of on Facebook. I didn't know he them. plays there. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. Om Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. No. Well, that's where he's he does the funky Om is the. Oh yeah, the funky yeah. Om. Well, we've dropped ads for like ten people this morning. Uh. Please <laughs> Do we send have nothing it? else to talk about? <laughs> anyway, where was I going with this fucking thing? So there's music schools in Little India. No, no, no. I, about going out to eat. Because we right. got an Indian food, and then all of a sudden we're talking about Little India. You lived in Little India. You see how that works? Yeah. Um, oh, I know what I want to say. Yeah. No, I don't. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll say the other thing. You went to the bathroom. Yes. And while you were up, Aaron and... <clears throat> Christine conspired to get another glass of wine. Oh, really? Did you not know this? I had no idea. So, so they, Christine's like, do you want to split a glass of wine with me? And Aaron's like, okay. And then what? so they got the waiter over and the, the wine was delivered and poured. What? And mostly consumed before you even got back from the bathroom. But you witnessed the whole thing. They I did, but what am I going to say? tell you, they didn't think you would tell me about this hilarity. <laughs> I just thought it was pretty funny <laughs> that you were completely unaware. <laughs> completely. And I, I don't want them to feel like they can't drink. Yeah, I know. Us. It's like, yeah. I have no moral giant or anything. No, I don't I have care. no opposition to my wife getting plastered in an Indian <laughs> restaurant 
<laughs> if she wants. If you can, if I could, only could have gotten plastered off a glass and a half of wine back in the day, that would have saved me an awful lot of money. <laughs> yeah, but it was good to go out. Of course, yes, the wives. I was. I have a couple of glasses of. Now I remember wine. what. Now I remember this. See this. This harkens back to your DC trip. Yes, because because. Christine was talking about how hard it was to get tickets for the Capitol tour. Yes. And that she wrote to a bunch of representatives, and the only one that got back to her was George Santos. Yes, disgraced um, politician George <laughs> Santos. I'm just wrote picturing Santos like sitting in his office, looking at his phone, <laughs> waiting for it to ring. And if it ever rings, hello, hi, this is George. Can I help you? <laughs> what can I do for you? <laughs> <laughs> and, I don't know. But yeah. you got tickets, not through George Santos, though, we, we through got somebody t- else. Yeah, we. we I don't want to, you know, put that out there. But it's like a friend of a friend who's like some kind of ambassador from Turkey. It's something like <laughs> All right. that. You put it out there. It, well, I, I don't know what. It, How do you it, know the Turkish ambassador? I don't think he's the actual ambassador, or if he works in some capacity for the Turkish guy. Like I'm not sure exactly. Do you really actually work for the CIA? I'm starting to wonder. Who told you that? <laughs> <laughs> I can't talk about it. But yeah, we're going to get into the Capitol. Um, interestingly enough, um, my son Max, the eight-year-old, this was kind of his idea. He's got this crazy curiosity. He wants to know about all of this stuff. When I watch the news, he like listens out of one ear, and then he'll comment on it while pretending not to. It's really weird. Hmm. And, and so he really wanted to see the Capitol building, um, Lincoln Memorial, he said specifically, the Washington Monument, and uh, there's some museums. The greatest hits. Yeah. You're going to go to Air and Space? That's a good one. I think, yeah, um, on the uh, Discord, I was asking for suggestions last night, and um, uh, I think it was Z-Dad who recommended the Air and Space. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, so, But, you know, they're all good. I don't know what to do there. I'm just amazed we're going anywhere. Uh, but... What was that? I think that's your... Uh, oh, it's my coffee maker. Yeah. But we're visiting my uh, cousin, Jesse, and my cousin's wife, Aaron. No, Aaron is the cousin, Oxa, and a new baby. There's a new Spielvogel in town. Oh. Uh, and Mazel tov. And I was trying to explain to Max what the relationships are from us to that family. So mm-hmm. Aaron would be my first cousin. His daughter would be Max's second cousin. And Aaron would be Max's first cousin once removed so, so wake me up when you're done with that sentence <laughs> so we were having this conversation and uh, so it's exciting we're to get to see some cousins maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll get into the white house i don't think so i don't think so we couldn't get in there well i don't know you stand a better chance now yeah than true. a few years ago it's pretty sleepy over there <laughs> no one's exactly looking <laughs> nobody wants to wake up grandpa joe or yeah so we had easter of course and, oh yes uh, that's always a big holiday for uh, those of us who celebrate and um yeah celebrate what are you implying are you saying that those of us who are not celebrating in a religious way are somehow no everybody sell it's like christmas it's turned into you know eggs they're eggs the the bunny lays the eggs um there was some discussion of my mother making rabbit stew when i was a child (laughs) for easter uh, that's a sick fucking thing man i have to i have to say i mean i've met your mother she seems like a lovely woman but uh you know when I was a kid, my parents let me play with the lobsters on the, uh, that's not a euphemism, on the, on the floor of the kitchen and then dropped them in the pot right in front of me. So, oh. no, there's some trauma that we share yeah. because your mother, it wasn't, you didn't, she didn't like kill the rabbits in front of you, did she? No, she did similar things. Fatal attraction shit. <laughs> she did similar things with uh, lobsters. Like she would say, listen to it scream, Nathaniel. Ah. Put it in the pot. <laughs> and, uh, oh. 
Jesus Christ. Yeah, kind of a sicko. You know, when you and I started this show, we were both like, you know, neither one of us, we, we don't really have any childhood trauma. No. And then it all just keeps coming out every week. It, it's <laughs> New all, shit. It's all coming out. And a lot of it I'm remembering by explaining to my kids what my childhood was like. Because mm-hmm. the last question is, Daddy, when you were young, did your brother do this? And then I start remembering mm-hmm. the abuse. Right. I know. And uh, it's not really abuse. I don't know. No. It sounds to me like it's just... Normal growing up stuff. But what did you actually do for Easter? Well, um, in order to entice my children to participate in an Easter egg hunt, I filled the eggs with, with money from plastic eggs and That's hid them g- in the backyard. Oh, so your kids actually did an Easter egg hunt? All of them. Wow. Even the uh, 18-year-old. Well, there was money there in was the money. Eggs. There was money involved. See, I hide three golden eggs. Mm-hmm. The golden eggs have 20 each in them. And I hide them very well. Mm. And then the other eggs... They can tra- I'm, since I'm not st- getting up at 5 a.m. and stuffing dollar bills inside of eggs like there's some kind of cheap hooker's thong, <laughs> I, uh, I have them trade those eggs in for a dollar. So like I'll transfer a dollar onto their green light account depending on the number of eggs. So they are motivated to find the most eggs because they get do- single dollars for each eggs. And then we used to do it that you could only find one golden egg Right, mm-hmm. and then you were done searching for golden eggs, so everybody got one. This ah. year, they all decided free for all together, winner take all. Really? Yeah. So who won? Uh, Jack found two. Okay. Dimitri found one, and Ben found none. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I figured Jack, which would is win. what I could have told him was going to happen. Yeah, Jack's pretty enterprising. He yeah. Is. He well, Dimitri too. found the one I never. I, I hit it in the downspout of the gutter and ah. then squeezed the metal shut so you couldn't see it. Well, he knows you the best. He knows where you hide things. <laughs> he, does, he definitely does. <laughs> He's very good at finding <laughs> things you hide. He could crack into my safe and found all that weed a few years yep. ago. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Damn it. So we did that, and then we went to the restaurant in town. <laughs> Wild honey. Oh, yeah. And they did a surprisingly excellent job no with kidding. the food. It was really good. I had lamb. Mmm. Yeah. I love lamb. Yeah. So we had lamb at the Indian place, too. Yeah. The, the, the lamb chops at the Indian restaurant were phenomenal. They were, they were amazing. Yeah. Little, little, whatever kind of spice they put on there, a rub. Mm. They were rubbing the lamb mm. tenderly. The lamb. Um, Tender and, but, of course, it was also Aaron's birthday that's right yes so we actually went to celebrate happy birthday happy birthday aaron and happy anniversary to my partner mike he's oh, been yeah, married to uh for 10 12 13 how many 13 lucky 13, 13. so let me tell you you yep. know this week reminds me of like your what's your hell month october you got all that october, shit going on october is because in one week i had the anniversary mm-hmm. the easter mm-hmm. the uh the wife's birthday Within like three days. Yeah. And now you're broke. I'm broke and I'm just fucking tired. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. What'd you guys do? So Sunday is always um, uh, at our church. Easter is a big holiday. Um, Most churches. Yeah, but like, for example, it's empty every other day of the year except for Easter and Christmas. I guess that's every church. But Mm -hmm. like, it's very, it's like the one time where we get to pretend like we do our service like this every week, you know, because there's always people that are just visiting. Putting on a show. A little bit, yeah. you know. And then so, you know, Jeff, the pastor, tries to be funnier than usual um, and be entertaining. <laughs> he kind of just does shtick up there. He's funny, man. He, yeah. He, like, even, <laughs> even my kids would crack up at some of his comments. But um, 
Yeah, it was really cool. I love to see lots of kids coming into the church because I, you know, I'm in the Sunday school there, and uh, we always need more kids for the classes, and it's always exciting to see new people and you know try and lure them in, get your hooks in, so you can get more more helpers. Turn them upside down and shake the money out of their pockets. But I was actually um, on Saturday. You know, um, my son Noah is doing the National Junior Honor Society thing. Ben too, and they have to have these. Um, community service hours. So the day before Easter, my church does a a community dinner Mm. every two weeks where it's sort of, um, you know, people who are in need in the, in the town, Mm -hmm. we basically serve them a meal and, um, really there's music. It's nice. We had about 60 people from the community show up. Is that, is that like average? This is the first one I've attended. It's a new thing they're doing and I haven't been able to go to it yet. So this was my first one. It's been going on a, maybe they've had a few before. And uh, so my friend Gilbert, he always does the music. He plays his guitar, and he schleps along this other um, uh, older guy, who, and they just play music for the people eating. Mm-hmm. And, and so he's been trying to get me to come play with them. Mm. And uh, so this time I had Noah there to work, and uh, I said, all right, I, got, I can't avoid playing with the group now because <clears throat> I, I get so much anxiety doing stuff like that. So I brought my conga, and I brought a tabula, that Indian drum, and uh, and so I just jammed with them the whole time. I like sat up there and. Aren't you a guitar player? Yeah, but they're they're two guitar players up there. I didn't want to step okay. on it, you know. Nobody likes an extra guitar player just showing up and shitting all over your music. <laughs> like I've never rehearsed with them. I didn't want to like. Anyways, yeah. but the you conga just take was the leads. Good. You know, I just sit back and I, I play along. What's a tabula? It's a, I thought that was like a bulgar wheat salad. <laughs> Maybe I'm not calling it the right thing. It's this Turkish drum. It's metal shiny, and it goes like this. Like that kind of sound. Cool. It's cool. I like percussion. I think I got it from Greece. In any case, we did that, and it always feels good. And I got to have lots of conversations with people from the community. I got a, a woman's number for some reason. Aren't you married? Yeah, but you know, she was bragging about her husband's woodworking abilities, and she was showing me pictures. It, like it was weird. Like she kind of went on for too uh-huh. long. She's like, "Here, here. If you ever want something, here's my number." She wrote it on a napkin. She's trying to get you into a threesome or something? I hope not, because uh, not my type. Oh, uh, so okay. it was a fun weekend, and then we went to church and to my sister-in-law's. Um, we had uh, we drove out east, and there was family. It was my father and mother and aunt, cousin. It was mm. very good. And my sister-in-law, um, she hosts it, so this is her holiday. You know, as you get older, and right. different kids start taking over the holidays, and it was fun. Let me ask you a question about your church. Yes. Uh, now, I don't know anything about uh, Presbyterians, really. Um, do you do communion with wine? No, is, it, we is, use juice. Really? Like for everybody? The adults as well? Yeah. So everybody has juice. It's always been a no wine communion thing. So Now, is that like, is that official for the... The church at large, or is that just a, a localized decision that can be made? That is a great question, and I really don't know the answer, but my feeling is that this is Presbyterian-wide. It's just not a, hmm. a wine thing. And um, Yeah. You, I mean, you could use anything then, right? Like water. Um, I think they or it officially... it has to be fruit of the vine? I think it. that's probably it. Okay. I, I have to ask that. I really don't know. But, and I'm just you know. wondering, because you know, don't, every once in a while it comes up, uh, in some of these Facebook groups or whatever, like what do people do when they go to 
church and they want to take communion and the communion's wine and they're unalcoholic and I, usually it just sounds to me like someone's looking for an excuse to get a couple of sips of wine but you know who am I to judge says like oh, the Pope man. so yeah. you know I'm just kind of kind of wondering how that plays out like in the Protestant uh, arena well yeah so the Protestant or at least Presbyterians have the grape juice but it's funny that you mentioned that about the wine the wine and um, alcoholics because in one of my outpatients that I had to do that this very issue came up. There was this one guy who, you know, everybody there was like mandated by court, didn't really want to be sober, always trying to game the system type of thing. It was constant. And we had this very argument, you know, but when the law's involved, it gets very tricky. Yeah. Because in those outpatient um, places, if you're mandated, they're testing your urine. And if you fail, it goes back to the probation officer and you could be put in jail. Basically. Which interferes with your religious freedom, well, in theory. And this is how it comes up. So you get a guy being he tested positive for alcohol, <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, it's because I oh, I had communion wine. I'll never forget <laughs> how much." Well, that's what we say. He's <laughs> like, "Oh, it must have been from communion." And we don't. And so it was this debate, and he got all defensive about his religion and how religious he is. Wow, and it's the that only like- drink you. And uh, we just, it felt like bullshit. Like, you don't, it's one of those things, you Because you have a sip. It's not like you, you grab the chalice and drain it. But like, you probably shouldn't, you know, pop hot for a freaking alcohol on a urine test with one sip of communion wine. No, because, um, I mean, that's like eating a, bana- a ripe banana or something. But the advice I've heard from sponsors in AA over the years and people in these groups is they say, don't drink the wine. Yeah, it's Make, not just, mandatory. It's not mandatory. Right. It's not, uh, so it's bullshit. You, you can certainly talk yourself into thinking it's mandatory, well, that, right? Yeah, if you're an alcoholic. It, um, you know, so, uh, yeah, yeah, so that's come up, you know, and where do you draw the line? But mostly anyway. they would call bullshit and uh, still send them to jail. Bless me, uh, Nathaniel, for I have sinned. It's been 45 years since my last confession. I have yes. to, I, I just had a memory. You know St. Edward's in Syosset? Yeah, it's the next town over from my, us. My wife's church. Is it really? Your wife's, maybe, I shouldn't say this. Anyway, when I was um, in eighth, ninth grade, a bunch of friends and I broke into the church and stole the communion wine. Oh my goodness. Took it into the woods wow. and drank it. And it was like these gallon jugs of Krabari. Wow. Yeah. Oh. And I don't know. Did you feel better afterwards? Were you like uh, for a couple all, hours? All of that absolution. I mean, in <laughs> one drink, there was no, um, there was no absolution. I, you know, I now I feel, I feel kind of bad about it. Not yeah. really, but you, you shouldn't know. feel bad. I mean, I think as a kid, I probably ripped out Bible paper and rolled a doobie. I mean, I think the worst things happened in that church basement than wine being stolen. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I had a few things I wanted to. By bring. the way, what? I'm no. sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Don't be surprised. The Dalai Lama. Oh, you've been the following hell? this shit. <laughs> yes, what my uh, partner, um, other Mike, sent me the link. Is this the video with the tongue sucking? Yes, what the, the is, Dolly fucking Lama. What is who going I met on? once, by the way? Did you suck his tongue? I, he didn't ask, and I didn't offer. Um, apparently, he was. He's eighty-seven years old. I didn't realize he was that old, but he was having an audience, and some little kid came up. Yeah, this little boy, and I was like, it. "Can I have a hug?" Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, uh, uh, first give me a kiss. And he kisses him on the lips and then he sticks out his tongue and he goes, now suck, now suck my tongue. I was like, huh? (laughs) That's like, that's either the weirdest Tibetan custom ever. The Dalai Lama is losing his mind. That's more like, or like there's some things that went on in, uh, 
But it was in know, front of the, cameras. Yeah. I think there must have been something lost in trans. Maybe it was some, you know, expression in the, his native language that doesn't translate well. Yeah, it's kind of strange because it seems like almost like the response to this has been a sort of a Rorschach test as to where you are with cultural sensitivity and um, where you are with like the whole grooming thing that's been going on, like yeah. put out in the press by by the certain political elements in this country. And because it's sort of, everything now sort of breaks along those lines, right? Right. Um, and I don't know, man. <clears throat> I would think if the Dalai Lama was sticking his dolly or his llama somewhere it didn't belong it would have come out over the last you know 60 years you know but maybe this is just the first and the floodgates are going to open and there's going to be all these people but i don't know so i used to go to this thing in in central park called the change your mind day and it was sponsored by tricycle it was a buddhist magazine mm. and you would just sit and and meditate it was like a meditation day in central park in the city when i lived in the city and one of and the first year was like ninety three or ninety four. It was one of the times that I was um, sober for a couple of years in the nineties. So I went, and the Dalai Lama, who like wasn't like the huge guy that he is now in terms of like his his outsized impression upon like the Western Buddhist spirituality, was there with just like a couple of bodyguards, and he did the you know he led the thing and then as he was going for his limo, like I had this overwhelming desire to like to run up to him and like just touch his robe suck his suck, tongue, suck his tongue. <laughs> so i i did and it was really weird it was like the only time i've ever felt wow legitimate like spiritual energy come off another human being huh. and it freaked me out you know wow because i you know and i got to like i was like really emotional about the whole thing so wow so i've always had sort of like a special special place in my heart for the dalai lama yeah, and I mean, so this is like really kind of whacking me out, man. Like, is he taking a lot of? Has he made a statement since this has come out? Or yes, he what, has. What was the His statement? Yeah. Is basically the Dalai Lama is is very playful and jokes with people. Yeah, and you know, that's what I think. Right. It was. I feel like all of these years something else would have popped up. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so up. But like, come on. Yeah, I, I have to give the guy the benefit of the doubt. This looks very strange. But I think the fact that he's doing it on camera, and I feel like he must believe that this was completely innocent. Maybe he's a kooky old man. Maybe it's a custom we don't understand. I think we give the guy the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah, I, I would agree. And in Tibetan culture, sticking your tongue out at somebody is like a greeting of sorts. It's like, hello. I don't know about, like, now suck it. Now you suck know? it. <laughs> I don't know. I think the guys mm -hmm. earned um, some understanding yeah. on this. All one. right, sorry. I just needed to talk about that. <laughs> yes. Uh, what else is going on? What's now? going on is um, Noah finally cut his hair. Um, so my son has grown this long hair since COVID. He grew his hair out, and uh, he's been re he refused to cut it. I thought it was cool, but it was definitely becoming a problem uh, for him. It's just a pain in the ass. He gets mistaken for a girl sometimes because mm -hmm. he's young, and. Um, you know, he finally just came to the decision. Well, now proceed to entangle. To, what is this? Yeah. You know this one? I almost cut my hair. Yeah. Uh, but he did cut it. He almost cut his hair, but he actually did. He did. Um, and he feels so good. Well, he didn't cut it. He, the you know, barber he, cut. Yeah, he went to the... Uh, you to, found a salon. He goes to a salon. Right. Well, we've been trying to keep his hair looking good, you know, as long, you know, as the long hair. And so we were going to this one salon. And so finally, 
he decided he had had enough. He wants to change his brand. I told him to think of it as... <laughs> it's all marketing with it's you. It's rebranding. It? <laughs> it's like, this is rebranding. So we got some new clothes. He's got a new haircut. And I think he's... I can see some new confidence in him. Excellent. Know? I felt like he was... And I'm probably just projecting the way I felt about my hair, but it was like a security blanket. I had a real emotional attachment to my long hair, and I feel like probably this was a big thing for him to do. So that was a very... <clears throat> very big deal but what is it with hair and, and like and teenage boys because ben never wants to comb it or touch it you just leave it long jack the same thing well mm. jack because he goes to a catholic school has to cut his hair he's Spoke, replying. but he's always fighting the length and everything yeah. and i'm like i don't ever remember identifying with my hair so much and then i grew up in the 80s when like longer hair was kind of not it wasn't really in vogue. You would have to be in yeah. a rock band. Right. So for me, it was <clears throat> a rebellion against my very conservative parents sort of thing. And so it was something that I did myself that was not controlled. by. Uh, I felt like it was a place I could have control. But isn't it, isn't it like a very um, trite sort of thing to do? Like it's, it's not like the most original thing to do is to grow your hair long to piss off your parents, right? It's I mean, not. hasn't this been done since the... 60s but kids you know? don't have any perspective you know I they guess don't know. not i guess it's just not. like the it, history keeps repeating itself because it's something innate i think maybe in human beings this the cutting the hair feels like some kind of imposition on who you are if you can think of it that way like this is me and you don't like me the hair is me and you know so you want me to cut it it means you want me to change who that's i like, am that's like some very mm-hmm. like two-step deep intellectualizing for someone who's like 14 years well, old that's how but, i thought yeah. of it I mean, I wasn't that in touch with my subconscious, but that's what I'm thinking about now. Like, why did I feel that? Like, we, we have the benefit of hindsight when we're, you know, grown-ups, so to speak. And you look back and some of the behaviors, and I can sort of say, oh, probably this is how I felt, and you can understand it better. So, I don't know. I just, I just I think of it in terms of, like, drinking and using drugs, though, just to bring it back to this podcast that we have. Um, because, like, people also in those years go out and they do drugs or they drink to rebel. But drinking and, and doing drugs is sort of the most normative thing that you can do in society, isn't it? Yeah. When you think about it, mm-hmm. like the, the real punk rock expression is to not drink or do drugs. Like straight edge to me is far more punk and rebellious than doing what everybody else does, which is just to get shit-faced all through their teen years, right? Yeah, I remember the straight-edge scene, and like that was definitely a very... It was considered very extreme, I think, mm. because um, it's hard to do. And a lot of kids don't have that strong beliefs about what they really feel. You know, a lot of times it's just going along with this crowd or that crowd. Yeah. And so- the straight-edge, it required, you know... Not going, yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> I just think kids didn't want to do it because it was too hard. They're lazy. It's just all the peer pressure, you know, to, to drink, to do drugs, whatever. It all is like, and all in the name of nonconformity when it, it, it actually is setting you up to be the most conformist you can be in the society for, you know, because when, when you, then when you become 21, you're drinking all the time and that's the normal thing. Yeah. So, so basically this whole idea that you're rebelling is just sort of priming your pump for joining the conformity that happens in your twenties. Yeah. It's like, it's just such an opposite, you and, know? Yeah. And i like, I think of it as my job with my kids now to sort of in, get that in their heads, you know, daddy doesn't drink, everybody else drinks. Daddy's then, the rebel. Right. Yes. I'm the rebel. I'm the one that says no. And when the 
beer commercial comes on the TV. I say, look how dumb that is. You think that really tastes good? They're just trying to sell you something, just like the Annie Grace mm-hmm. book. And so I'm trying to get them, but probably that'll backfire because <laughs> when they get old enough, they go, oh, dad wants me to do this. Well, I'm going to do this. Yeah. But it's uh, tough for, uh, um, you know, if you're living sort of an alternative lifestyle, and I, and I kind of look at like sobriety as being an alternative lifestyle. You know, it's not the norm in this society. No, but I mean, it's fast becoming a popular alternative. This it seems like celebrities are, you know, being sober. Everybody's not doing it. Um, I wanted to mention I was at. Uh, this is kind of interesting. I was at Easter, and I was my father was getting a drink. Meanwhile, keep in mind that he knows exactly what's happened to me in the past, you know, fifteen years or so. But he still goes, "Oh, uh, you want a drink? Um, are you still on the wagon?" And I he said, said that to you? Yeah. He goes, you're still in the wagon, right? Um, wow. <laughs> but it, usually when my dad uh, have these talks, it always comes up, well, where does that expression come from? Uh-huh. Uh, because uh, I said, on the water wagon, on the wagon. And so he told me what he, you know, what he knew about the, uh, about the origin of on the wagon, right? So <clears throat> it, I was going to read it because I remember it, but... Um, on the wagon. It has to do with the temperance movement. I guess it was during Prohibition. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would... Or drive, this is what I remember. They'd drive around on these wagons and they would announce, you know, sort of like a revival for church. They mm-hmm. would say, come up and renounce alcohol and you would step onto the wagon and declare that you were joining the temperance movement. Interesting. And so that was the wagon. But I was going to actually read it from a website. Um don't be uh, so. Never mind. Um, but <laughs> that's that's essentially what it was. But these are always the discussions that I get into with my. We'll say an expression, and then we go. Well, where does that come from? Well, he's a word guy, being yeah. a lawyer. You know. But uh, yeah, because people say on the wagon all the time, but not many people know hmm. where it comes from. Literally Inter- stepping onto the wagon. Yeah. That's, thank you for that. You're very welcome. <laughs> but we've got a great show for you, whether you think so or not. We do. Yes, we do. Um, what are we going to do today besides ramble? Well, there were a couple of things in the press, and a couple of people suggested some things that we might want to talk about uh, on the show. Um, because it seems like there's this push across the country both with the DEA's new telehealth rules that are sort of making it difficult for people to get medication that they need. And then you have um, laws uh, passed in Texas. The Texas Senate has passed a bill allowing fentanyl distributors to be charged with murder. Yeah, that one's interesting. And then you have an Alabama law where there's a sentencing bill that was signed into law by the governor that basically provides that you can get a life sentence for um, dealing fentanyl. And it just seems like a lot of this is just sort of warmed over war on drugs bullshit that, um, you know, that I thought we had kind of evolved beyond. But I think, I think when we get back from the break, we're going we're gonna to tunnel down into some of that a little bit and talk about some policies around that and why that's probably not, not the best way to, to go about dealing with the, the opioid crisis in this country, which was created by the very same people that are now going to profit off sending people to jail for it. Yeah, it's a tricky question. And Melissa <clears throat> had posted the, the question in um, the Facebook group. And uh, I honestly didn't know how to respond because it's such a, it's such a hard, I don't know, like, you know, she says, what are your thoughts on life in prison for eight grams of fentanyl? Um, I'm not sure. Like, I probably, it's too much. 
You know, but <laughs> that would be my opinion. But like, you can also see why they would go that way. Fentanyl yes. is a killer. It's highly irresponsible, and that person who's got that much, you know, has the potential to kill, you know, people. But life in prison. Same thing with you know people who have all that sugar and other shit they're pumping into the society. So can yeah. we uh, take a short break and be right back after and these words with an actual focus after yes. these words. And we're back. Uh, so during the break, I, I remembered that I, I started reviving Confucius say jokes because um, <laughs> I think I made one at, at uh, in church to to my son. I said, "Is that the pew one?" Yeah, 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 yeah. Noah. Yeah, because what is Confucius say? Man who fart in church sit in his own pew. And he was cracking up, and I'm like, you know, there's a million of these horrible <laughs> jokes out there. And then the Dalai Lama thing came up, and it sort of reminded me. Of a few of them. And uh, I just, here's, a, here's one that I really like. Confucius say, it take many nail to build crib, one screw to fill it. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Um, Confucius say, man who sleep in bed of nails is holy. <laughs> That's not good. No. What's the one about the, the man who's smoke pot? Uh, oh, yeah. Confucius say, man who snort coke. Get bubbles up nose. <laughs> Confucius say, man who smoked pot, choke on handle. <laughs> Sorry. There's a whole litany and I was... <laughs> Is that it for I, that? That's going to be it. Um, you're going to have to look it up. But it was funny because I was telling them to, to Noah. And then I said, you know, these are probably considered racist and also <laughs> completely inappropriate. Yeah, here so, we go. <laughs> you know, but I forgot that uh, what we thought was once very innocent is now horrifically racist and insensitive. So, there's your Confucius Say for the day. Okay. But we do have... Is that a new segment? Yes, it's the Confucius Say for the day with that and Mike. Hey, okay. So, what's this article? We're going to get in trouble for that. We've got big things to talk about. Have no fear. So, the Alabama Senate uh, unanimously, unanimously passed a bill on Thursday morning. That would be last Thursday morning, mm. since this Thursday hasn't happened yet. That creates mandatory minimum sentences for the possession of fentanyl. Uh, the bill passed the Alabama House with unanimous consent. That means Everybody. Democrats, and Republicans, and the one or two Democrats in the Alabama Senate. Right. Uh, and the governor signed the bill into law on Tuesday afternoon. The entire nation should take note of what we accomplished today in Alabama with the passage of House Bill 1. Every member of the legislature came together to pass this critical piece of legislation under the legislation, one gram of fentanyl would re require a three-year sentence, and up to eight grams would mean life in prison. Wow. A gram gets you a year? Yeah. Jesus. Um, that, that harkens back to, like, the crack days, like, of the, in the, when they had those hard mandatory sentences. Ah, the good old crack days. And following on the heels of that, the Texas Senate unanimously passed a bill allowing fentanyl distributors to be charged with murder. Uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott celebrated the bill's passage and said, those who kill Texans will face justice. I guess <laughs> wow, kill people from Louisiana without as much <laughs> yeah. problem. Um, well, what makes okay, them so a distributor? It, so, so this is interesting. It would um, change the classification of drug overdoses to poisonings. Wow. So uh, an intentional act of poisoning, right? Um, 
We've tragically learned the extent of how dangerous fentanyl is and how even under one gram is so dangerous. Huffman, that's the senator, said Wednesday, introducing the bill, it is a fact that fentanyl is flooding our borders. It is absolutely, without a doubt, killing our citizens on a daily basis, and it's time we take a comprehensive approach to combat this. Uh, it cleared the Senate unanimously, again, bipartisan support, and we'll head to the state legislature. So, I mean, a whole bunch of laws, right? Mm. That would impose incredibly harsh penalties on fentanyl dealers. It sounds very harsh. And just to throw this in there, well, when I had my overdose, I'm sure I had almost a gram of fentanyl, you know, that in somewhere either on me or hidden somewhere. The problem with these laws is they are in a, they've been proven like during the war on drugs in the 90s and the 80s and the crack epidemic, they are usually ineffective. They're morally dubious. And, um, you know, the, the opioid crisis is a public health issue. It's not a law enforcement issue that can be addressed through law enforcement alone. Mm. Um, I mean, don't these things disproportionately target small-scale dealers who most are mostly are addicts themselves and are just selling this stuff to support their habit? I mean, I, I guess when you're talking about eight grams... Maybe we're, we're getting outside that. But I can remember a time personally when I would walk up in the Bronx to some of these neighborhoods and I'd buy like three or four bundles of crack and just walk back. And that could have got me 20 years in a federal prison. And yeah. it was all personal use. It wasn't like, yeah, you know, so. Um, yeah, it seems like a, a hard reaction because like they were in the, the crack days, everybody's scared. And how much of that has to do with just the way the media portrays it? You know, that's another Another problem too, like I understand they they're seeing people drop dead who they normally maybe wouldn't. Like for example, kids you see this in the news occasionally. Some like a high school quarterback, star quarterback, he goes to a party, you know, and thinks he's trying cocaine or takes in sure and yeah. a, a Xanax, and really it's laced with fentanyl or is pure fentanyl, and the kid drops dead. He was never addicted. He was just experimenting. Now the kid's dead. So the towns are considering this, like you are preying on our children, you're tricking them and killing them with poison. I mean, I think that's sort of a different situation, isn't it? If you were disguising other drugs as fentanyl, I mean... And they don't even know half the time when they're selling them. That, that's, that's a wholly different situation from someone who's being caught with a certain amount of just raw fentanyl that they're selling yeah. and or using. Um, you know, can you really... I mean, in, in, that, in that case that you describe, you're basically, people are deliberately hiding fentanyl in other products. But in, in a case where you're just busted with it, it's a, it's a different story, isn't it? I mean, and, and why are we spending all this money on law enforcement when, and, and we're not providing people with problems with support and resources they need for rehabilitation? Yeah, it's I mean, a this lot. just perpetuates the cycle of drug abuse and incarceration. It's a panic move. It, it's a it's people not knowing what else to do. Like they they want to make their constituents happy. The constituents are calling angry. My son died. This guy was selling him fentanyl. He should go away for murder. And then the police are going, oh, we can't do anything. People are pissed. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to do it right because it's never been really done before. And this is what they go to. It's a total panic move. Yeah, but doesn't it really fail to address any of the root causes of the actual problem? Completely. But it, and it, and it, well, yeah. simultaneously, it exacerbates, you know, existing social social inequities and, and problems. I mean, the war on drugs, right? 
1970s it started, um, billions of dollars spent on law enforcement. Uh, meanwhile, uh, drug use and addiction rates have not decreased at all. In fact, it's, they've increased in, mm. in a lot of areas. And this is despite increased spending on, on interdiction and um, punitive measures. Meanwhile, incarceration rates have skyrocketed. And, and who makes money off of that? Private right. prisons? Private you know? prisons. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they. I feel I mean, like they just don't know what to do. They're trying to think... Like, I'm trying to think of it from their perspective, you know? Like, why do they think this would work from their perspective? And I think they think... I don't even think they believe that it will work. I think their thought is, if they can make it such a deterrent on the jail time, if you even start to carry uh, fentanyl around with you or you're doing it or thinking of it, you'll think twice. And they think they'll mitigate... Because drug addicts always think twice about the consequences of of their actions, right? (laughs) Yeah. Before they go out and, and do something. Yeah, it just... It's I mean, like, what about the moral implications of, of imposing a life sentence, putting somebody in jail for the rest of their life? Um, it's crazy. M- meanwhile, how, do, how did we get to this this place, right? Are the Sacklers going to prison? Are they going to prison for del- dealing like thousands and thousands of yeah. pounds of opioids? Uh, over-prescription of painkillers? Are these doctors going to prison? The aggressive marketing by pharmaceutical companies? Are the marketing agencies going to prison? Why, why is it only the people who are at the end, the end of the line, yeah. the ones who, who bear the biggest brunt of addiction, the ones that everybody wants to throw in jail? Yeah, it's like the lowest hanging fruit because they've got... Did you see the story about the police chief who was in on a fentanyl smuggling ring? Yeah, that was in California, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, it was a civilian employee of the police agency. So let, right. let's... Uh, right. But she was like the head of the police union civilian employee and she was having this stuff shipped yeah. to the police union building and then disseminating it from there. She used that address for everything. It's like you can't even, you know, it, there's just corruption on every level. And Are we going to throw the cops in prison too? Like, I mean... Yeah, it's it's just, it's a no-win situation the way they're doing it. And um, I feel like they just have no idea what they're doing. And they're just listening to angry constituents and just trying to do something they'll like to get voted for. I don't think they think this is a real solution it's just total going backwards. It's pandering. And pandering. It's a public health emergency, right, that's being treated with additional law enforcement. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't get it. Um, meanwhile, like, these are the same folks that would never think of having a needle exchange or you know, any kind of uh, harm reduction in their neighborhood because it's like morally... They, they, they yeah, object so to it from a moral standpoint. Where, where's the morality of people just dying? You know, where, where, where's the sense of morality and moral outrage at these drug companies that have been pushing this poison on people for the last 20 years? They've created this problem and, then, and none of them have gone to prison. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's this part of it is the dehumanizing of the people who are addicts or do, you know, live that lifestyle. And they don't think of them as people. It's an us and a them. You know, the same way it was, you know, with uh, Nixon and pot, you know. But, I mean, is that is that even the case anymore with, with opioids? Because Everybody's now it's affecting, it. like, it's affecting everybody, right? Middle yeah. class, white people, and all of a sudden, you know, it's become a thing. And it, uh, what I noticed about the Texas bill is sort of the thinly veiled dog whistle about how the fentanyl is all coming across the border from mm. Mexico. And it's not like, it's not necessarily, you know... There's always the white that. people from Houston who are going to go to jail. It's, you know, maybe there's a little uh, 
There's a little, yeah, a lot of that xenophobia. They're coming into our neighborhoods. You know, they don't think that, you know, maybe they don't want to believe that this could be in their, you know, in their neighborhood, their people who they think are so much. So when they see their people, quote unquote, getting wrapped up in this, dying, getting addicted, they don't say to that person, how can we get you better? They're looking to blame an other Mm-hmm. And say this is this guy or these people that came over from the border. They're the drug dealers who come into our town or or corrupt our children, and and then, so that's why it's also so backwards. Instead of trying to look for a solution that makes sense, but the question is, what would that solution even look like? We always like to say they should put money into treatment, but it's so nebulous, you know, that maybe they don't have like a real plan or a way to do it any differently. Well, how about? Uh Instead of taking all that money you're going to spend putting people into prison, you use some of it to expand access to uh, evidence-based treatments like medical, medically-assisted treatment, cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, how about you take some of that money to implement prevention pro- programs, like starting educational initiatives like that dare. target healthcare providers and the general public to raise awareness about the risks associated with opioid use and promote responsible prescribing practices? Mm. How about enhancing harm reduction act, uh, efforts like... Uh, supervised consumption sites, needle exchange programs, and increased access to na- uh, naloxone, uh, or addressing social determinants of health, tackling underlying issues like poverty, mental health, and social isolation. What about that? You could do that. Those are very concrete things that can be done. But Mike, that's hard. It's, I mean, it's just it's allocating se- money to a different place. It's not sexy. You can't sell it to a voter as easily. It's so much easier to go, law enforcement, we're tough on crime. Those bums are going to jail. And people go, yes, right. I shall vote for you, sir. Well, Because you'll do something about this nonsense. I mean, I, I remember when we had that discussion with um, Evan, what was his name? Evan uh, Haynes. Evan Haynes, who had a very positive vision of what America yeah. could do to address these issues. Yeah. And I argued with him because I don't see that we have the will or the ability to, to focus on problems that are hard we tend to take the quick fix in this country which is how we got into this mess in the first place right he painted a very pretty utopian picture of how things could be where everyone was just not who they are basically (laughs) (laughs) it it sounded great but there was really um it's a lot everything looks good from a a treatment center in malibu i guess (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but Uh, it's, it's too hard you need everybody on board and it's just it's so much easier for them to just do, you know, life in prison. That's what we'll do. And then nobody will want it. But it what, just drives me yeah. fucking crazy because the, the drug companies with the help of the government were the ones that started us down this road. And the doctors were complicit. The drug companies got everybody hooked on these pills. Then people started going into the streets to get heroin. And when heroin wasn't enough, fentanyl became uh, what people were getting. And these, just like the um, the Mexican cartels, Filled the need for black tar heroin because everybody who was uh, addicted to oxys, when they the federal the federal government came and changed the f- requirements of the formulation, oh, right so you there. can't do it anymore. They were sending black tar heroin in because it's a business opportunity, right? They didn't create the demand. The mm-hmm. demand was created by the drug companies. The, the and all they did was in the in a most capitalist American manner yeah. fit the need for what people were demanding, and it's the same thing with fentanyl. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely... Now, what are you going to take them and put them against the wall and shoot them? I guess you could. We did that to the 
you know, the Pablo Escobars and the, the, the El Chapos of the world who were just, again, feeding, but that you know, American desire. Oh, and, that, and they went to jail and so what? There's still cocaine, there's still fentanyl. Like, it, it's so, it's like shoveling waves back into the ocean with a fork with this stuff. Ooh. You know, because really, you know, you could also go after China. And I think they sort of kind of tried to just because of the manufacturing is, is going on. And um, you can't anger China though by going after them too much because is, they sell us so much plastic shit. Uh, yeah, Mexicans yeah. you can go after because you know they're brown, they're below the border. You know they don't really. What's our trait? You know they provide cheap labor and yeah. stuff, but you know they're not as you can't a, anger no. China. China's a bigger bigger thing. It doesn't matter that they violate human rights on a daily basis in the most egregious ways. It <laughs> yeah, doesn't right. matter I, that know. you know they're stealing all of our intellectual property and profiting off it. It doesn't matter that they're manufacturing the deadliest drug known to man shipping it to america so that it can be distributed to kill our children there's nothing we can do about china it's like too big to fail type of thing yeah mexico like let's say you were going to try and make a dent in the fentanyl crisis by going after mexico maybe you'd have to build a wall or something you'd have to build a wall (laughs) but there'd have to be one of those little doors so you can put the bag through (laughs) right knock knock on the door walk up to the wall knock three times um, yeah, and that's why it's so these things don't happen because uh, at the highest levels of government and the mediumist levels of government and the le- they just don't have a cohesive like intellect and plan to do anything, and that's what you need to make something that complex even begin. You know, so I don't even know where you would start. I don't know either, but I do know that let's say you're putting all these laws into effect, right? Who's going to take the brunt of the punishment? from these laws is it going to be like white users in the suburbs uh you know people who have um you know mid mid level to high level income uh no it's going to be the criminal justice system's treatment of poor and minority people has been an ongoing issue right because justice is not applied consistently across uh the the country and across um socioeconomic status and across uh, racial lines either. So you're going to have just a continuation of more black and brown people being put in prison is what's going to happen. I mean, yeah. black people are three, three and a half times more likely to be arrested for marijuana possession, for example, than white people, despite similar rates of usage across racial groups. I mean, and, and, it, and that's other drugs as well. Yeah, it's a very clear disparity. And anytime you bring it up with someone who, for some reason, denies that these things are true, (laughs) it's bizarre. It's almost like people don't want to see what's actually going on. Instead, they'll go, well, that just means they're three times as bad as everyone else. Yeah, well, I mean, then you look at statistics like black male defendants receiving sentences that are on average 20% longer than those for white male defendants convicted of the same crime. So, I mean... How can you argue there's no racial bias there? Uh, I mean, whatever. I mean, the statistics are what they are. You can just you can claim that they are not. There is no racial issue in the criminal justice system, but that would be it's, ridiculous. It's very hard to ignore. But again, it always brings me back to: so what can we do about it? You know, when we want to say that this is not the way it should be, I think it's a you know incumbent upon us to say, well, here's how we should do it, or here's how we could change. Well, I think it. you need comprehensive criminal yeah. justice reform. So that's not going to happen. So what else can we do? Yeah, you're right. You just what do you think about drug courts as an alternative to to prison? Um, I like drug courts, and I also experienced you know 
secondhand, let's say, in some of my court-mandated groups and things like that, I was around a lot of the guys who were in drug court. I heard a lot about what they were going through, um, and they all preferred it to the alternative. Some of the guys had come out of jail just because they got an opportunity to do drug court. And drug court was very difficult, and it was very strict, and it could be unfair sometimes. There would be a bit, stuff like that, but still, it was, you know, according to them, people going through it, they preferred it to jail. And, um, and it's probably better for them. I mean, not just, uh, you know, because they have them staying sober houses. That's another dimension to this. And, and that can be a very dangerous situation, these sober houses. I don't know uh, if you've heard much about what goes on at these places, but they're not safe. Mm. Um, but, yeah, the drug court. Um, and they talk about this in the movie, uh, the documentary Anonymous People. Right. They highlight... Um, a, a drug court judge who's very caring and very, you know, and it's great when you get a judge like that, but uh, the, the judge in Nassau County on Long Island, I heard some really bad stories about from guys who, you know, were under his care. Basically. Like if you fuck up, he was like gotta, really rough. Yeah. So if you get a really vindictive or particularly um, impatient, you know, judge in that case, it can make someone's life hell and basically set them up to go back into the system just to come out and do it again. Right. I mean, well, that, but it is better than jail. I think. That sort of argues against long tail probation as being part of any of these things because yeah. you know just the nature of of addiction and the recidivism is part of recovery and um, yeah you know. But I mean, drug courts you tend to have reduced recidivism. Like any of the studies that have been done, um, you know, people that who go through the traditional criminal justice system have much higher rates of recidivism than people that go through drug courts, and they're also cheaper. And courts like cheaper. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, a 2008 report from the Urban Institute found drug courts resulted in a cost savings of 5,600 to 6,200 per participant compared to traditional case processing. And then, of course, if you're in drug court, you can connect people with treatment, right? Uh, and support services, which re- may not be as available in the traditional criminal justice system. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely the smarter way to go. Of course, drug courts aren't going to be perfect. They're run by human beings, and they could use work. But I completely agree. But then I would ask, is drug courts not something that is in every state, or is this just I saw this in our county? Well, I think I think one of the, the criticisms of drug court is that it's, it is it is limited availability, and a lot of it depends on you know what the prevailing judicial sentiment is in the venue that you're in. Um, you know, they're not available in all jurisdictions. And even where they are, they often have a limited capacity. So you get a small fraction of eligible individuals who can participate in these things, which also leads to the question of selection bias, right? Mm. Like some drug courts tend to admit those with the highest likelihood of success, like first-time offenders or those with less severe addiction issues, right? Right, yeah, they're trying to... I mean, that skews success rates because you have people who are already predisposed to do well. In right. the program. And then the question is, what do you do when someone fails out of drug court? I mean, do they get unlimited tries? <clears throat> At some point, do they have to go to jail? And is that fair? Well, isn't it sort of a combination of a carrot and a stick, right? Like the carrot is like, you don't have to go to jail if you're successful. And the stick is, if you're not successful, you we go beat to jail the for fucking life. shit <laughs> out of you with, <laughs> with the stick. Yeah, um, yeah. And then what... what I mean, is there a standard for drug courts or is, I mean, it seems like the practices are all inconsistent, right? So you would argue then as a federalist, no, not as a federalist, as someone who's not a federalist, you would agree that maybe this is something the federal government 
should um, have some sort of standard protocol for some standard funding. I would want the feds to impose a standard on state courts because states are different. So you'd have to wait for every state to come correct, fix their courts, update the laws, build the jail, like not the jails, the courts, basically set up a whole parallel justice system just for addicts and people selling drugs without some federal mandate. So you can have federal guidance without having a federal mandate. So my suggestion would be much like we have something called the model penal code, which Mm, is a federal standard (laughs) of how to classify crimes and, you know, how to write them down or the uh, or the UCC uniform commercial code, which is sort of an idealized version of a model that different states can use and they can either adopt it whole cloth or they can adopt the portions that make sense for their state and then tweak it around the edges. Uh, I think something like that is better than a heavy-handed federal mandate that just comes down and says you have to do it this way because that hasn't really worked in education Mm. and I don't see how it would work here because lots mm. of criminal justice systems in the different states are different. Uh, I I don't know if you can really impose... You can have best practices. You can... All that kind of stuff, right? And then you're just hoping states like Louisiana will say, this federal mandate, I mean, federal uh, guidelines actually... Makes more sense than what we want to do, and then to change it. We're really picking on Louisiana today. Well, is there another state we could pick on? It's just it's symptomatic of the of the whole country, and and it's sort of what makes the United States of America so different and messy and beautiful. But you know, it creates these kind of these problems because people can decide state by state, you know, the kind of place they want to live in. Well, I mean, as long as you have. Uh, States existing as independent entities, they are they have the right yeah. to create their own um, procedures within their own borders, right? Subject to whatever laws have come down about federalism. But this is sort of <laughs> a weird yeah. way to go, um, you know, in, in terms of discussing this issue. I mean, best practices are one thing, mandates are another. I don't know. Mm. And, and mandates that don't come with federal money attached are even worse, right? True. I mean, but I think... Because the stuff is expensive, right? It's expensive, but to me, that sounds like the best solution proposition I've heard yet, where, you know, maybe the answer is to... It's almost like it has to be a parallel justice system for, you know, it's its own court. You have drug courts. So that that's going to take a lot to build, but, you know, that could be the ticket. This way you're treating people like human beings who are redeemable and giving them tools with which to make themselves better. And not just, you know, kind of wholesale off with their head. So in other words, it's never going to happen. Right. Uh, as long as you have states like <laughs> Texas and Alabama who are, want to put people in prison for life. I mean, there is a question, though, isn't there, right? There is a, there is a qualitative difference between an addict who is selling fentanyl for his own personal use and to, um, to keep him in enough money that he can continue to use drugs and somebody that's out there pressing fake Xanaxes full of fentanyl and pushing them on an unsuspecting public. Is there a place for harsh treatment in the criminal justice system for the latter as opposed to the former? I think there has to be. I think there has to be some kind of um, real crackdown because at the end of the day, the jails are really for, you know, separating society from those that would harm it or who are incapable of, you know, getting better somehow, or they, they're too dangerous to be around our kids and our, and us in, in public. 
So, you know, that's where a judge, I guess, and a jury might come into play and say, you know, they have to determine these things. Like, was this, because there's a lot of gray area. What if it's a guy who just does a lot of fentanyl? So he's got a lot, but he's not distributing. So he's got a pill press and he's pressing well, zany he's bars. Got, and the pill press, you know, they could make the possession of the pill press some kind of other crime, which it is, I think. Um, so, I mean, I could see an argument, a rational argument that that is a poisoning right when you're when you're putting the, these drugs into you know into commerce um and they're not what they purport to be and someone takes them and they die you know it's it's sort of like if you put a product into the stream of commerce and the, that product kills people right you know like the um powdered milk from china yeah or right or like we used to talk about this back in the day when you would you know, buy a joint or something and it would be, quote, it's laced with PCP. You'd, I'd always hear about that and I always hoped I would Who's get, giving away free PCP? That's what I, I used to say. I, how come nobody laced my anything with anything, you know? But, um, you know, if, if somebody is, uh, a lot of times fentanyl is used by these dealers to, I don't even know if heroin comes into the, uh, to the equation anymore, but at first it was to make the uh, heroin last longer. So they mm-hmm. buy heroin in bulk and then to make that heroin you know spread out and make more bags they'd buy this really cheap fentanyl and then over time they realized that people were just addicted to the fentanyl they didn't need the heroin anymore and they could make that much more profit just selling fentanyl and so what we're hearing about now is people or addicts who say they want fentanyl because they've developed a tolerance to it mm-hmm. um, and that's what they that's what they want now and it's harder for um, naloxone to work, you know, when they revive you, they need more of those. Yeah. It's creating a, a, like another level of difficulty. Even I've heard guys who were trying to come off of fentanyl with Suboxone, which was the magic bullet for most people with heroin. Yeah. I mean, for myself, I should say. <clears throat> but with fentanyl, it's not quite as effective because of how powerful it is. So th- this fentanyl is creating so many more problems. I don't think w- any of us either expected or know what to do with because it's so dangerous and it's it's really just so much uh, worse i think yeah put a pin in that suboxone for a second because i want to go back come back to that mm. because there's another law that i think we've talked touched on in the past episodes that that deals with that suboxone mm-hmm. okay but all of these issues about counterfeit stuff fake stuff fentanyl dis- being uh, disguised as Xanax, whatever, you know, where else did we see this sort of thing in American history? Adulterated products being on the market, you know. We're talking alcohol? Prohibition. Yes. Right? I got it. So what happened when prohibition was repealed and alcohol was legalized again? All of the adulterated stuff, all of the black market stuff, well, 99% of it, I'm not counting Kentucky, the right, fucking the moonshine, moonshine, right? But it all disappeared. So is the answer to do what Dr. Carl Rogers, the recreational heroin user from Columbia or wherever, suggests and legalize op- opioids and they, therefore you can standardize the supply and you can take this the profit motive out of it and just go down to, to the drugstore and buy your... Uh, Buy your heroin. You know, this is a very kind. If you guys remember, we did a show on Carl Hart's book, um, 
Did I say Carl Rogers or Carl Hart? I think you said Carl Hart. Okay. Drug use for grown-ups. Carl Rogers is the psychologist. Yeah, this one, you know, yeah. Carl Hart, who had a controversial book called um, Drug, Drug Use for Grown-ups, which got a lot of people angry. Including me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it really, and me too, I, I thought it was irresponsible in a lot of ways. <clears throat> but looking at it strictly um, intellectually, I think it's an important discussion to have because, I mean, he really lays out, like, that's a great point, you know, like, do I really want cocaine available, you know, at 7-Eleven, you know, um, not really, but the concept still holds firm that it could be a safe supply and look at how much it would, you know, and you could do like you do with alcohol. You can have an age limit. You should need your ID, not like you can't get around it, but they could safeguard the sale of it while providing a safe supply, eliminating this, un the whole underground everything uh, where all of this stuff happens with the sex trafficking, with um, the smuggling, people getting, you know, robbing people. Um, so there's actually some some good wisdom there. Like it, it sounds impossible and probably a bad idea, but the concept is a good one, right? Like we could take away all this adulterated stuff, make sure people are getting pure heroin, you know, medical grade. Um, that could solve some problems, you know, well, maybe creating a few others. So it's which problem is worse? Like, which one would you want to live with? I think in order for there to be any political will to do anything like that, you would need to have a much more nuanced understanding of drug abuse and, and what these drugs do and really change society's view and stigma about what somebody who uses drugs looks like, right? Yeah. And, and I think... I think Carl Hart was trying to do that with the book, and I don't think he really succeeded because I don't think people are quite ready to to hear that. He's definitely and, yeah. Ahead and you you do you are going to create problems if you do if you go down that 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 route. You are probably going to have less deaths, but you are probably going to make more addicts because when prohibition was repealed. A lot of people just started drinking again. Right, because then are you going to see ads for cocaine on the Super Bowl? Are well, you going to see ads for heroin uh, on I cartoons? Mean, I, think there's, I think there's ways to manage that. Like, you don't see ads for cigarettes anymore, on the Super right? Bowl anymore, right? So, um, you know, you would have to do it with... with the, now, there's a place where I think federal regulation across the country would be a good thing mm. uh, in terms of, you know, advertising for any of this stuff. But uh, I don't know. That's that's a sticky wicket, as they say. Mm. Um you know, it's much easier to just put people in jail uh, on a on a theory that this person sold adulterated fentanyl or an adulterated product that killed somebody, so they should be convicted of murder, right? Yeah. And maybe maybe there are cases where that is warranted. You know. Well, yeah. So then you have to have nimble intellectual justice systems, police officers. No, we don't have any of that, right? In this country, and we're not likely to get it anytime soon. So, so we can't have all of these. Nice things without people with brains running things. <laughs> you know, you're asking for way too much. <laughs> um, yeah, and we, you know, we kind of went after Carl Hart, but you know, I think part of why we went after him about it and why it made us so angry is he wasn't just like sort of theorizing that maybe we should, you know, um, have a safe supply and legalize narcotics. He was talking about how, hey, I'm a uh, I'm a psych psychologist, a doctorate. Uh, professor and I occasionally use heroin and I'm fine. You know, <laughs> right. what's wrong with you? And that's what I think pissed a lot of us off, especially me. Yeah. I was like, because people will look up, do look up to Dr. Carl Hart and say, well, 
um, for all of these years, he's been sort of, um, he's been a voice, I don't know about recovery, but just in talking about and educating people about drug use. And now he's coming out and saying, you know what? Grownups can do drugs. You could do heroin if you could just be a grown-up. And here's how I do it. Why can't you do it? You know, and I think that was really irresponsible. So he took something that was a really good, like, thought experiment and then just made it so much more inappropriate by being like, and I did it and you can too type of thing. And I think that was really um, yeah difficult. I, I think there's also a little bit of lazy intellectualizing in that whole <clears throat> idea of that a good thing to do in your recreational time is to kick back and, you know, skin pop a little heroin and right. sit in front Plan of your fireplace. Your day at night. around it. He was like, you know, I have it set up so I know exactly when I'm going to do ecstasy with my wife or if I'm going to get heroin, I plan it. And uh, I think we said on the show then, that's like one of those things they ask you when you're, am I an alcoholic? Do you plan your life around drinking? <laughs> that's like one of the first questions, I think. I mean, I guess his point is it's a perfect, he thinks it's a perfectly legitimate hobby. And, and my response to that is maybe we want to start creating a society where we don't want to escape from it. Uh, from our lives because our lives are so fucking miserable all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? We should but not require. But that's very hard. You can't, how are you going to change society? It's too hard. Yeah. You just move. But where would we move? Uh, so tell us what you think about this, guys. Let's get some of your opinions. Monksters will speak eventually. Mike R. at MiddleAgesRecovery.com um, or let's leave a comment on the Facebook group and then we can... Uh, we can keep it going because this is one of those topics that may never be resolved. All we can really do is stand by and observe in a lot of ways and, and uh, maybe just let people know what we think is the best way to go. But I don't know what you can really do. I don't know. I don't know. Still, if we didn't talk about it, we wouldn't have a show. Right. So there we are. There you have it. Okay. Don't do drugs. Don't. <laughs> yeah. Just okay. say no. Just, just say no. Uh, I I was yeah, enough. enough. All right. Uh, how about some recovery in the news? Recovery in the news. Yeah. yeah. Recovery in the news. Recovery in the news. Recovery. Recovery in the news. Motherfucker. You don't seem like you enjoy that as much as you used to. Oh, I missed this. Getting I missed, old. I missed the entrance, so I was a little annoyed. Do you want to do it again? No. No, it's not, but next time I will hit the entrance. So uh, technically you could say that this whole show is recovery in the news That's or right. drug policy in the news. But um, We have a good article. Yes. Um, this article was sent to me by like five different people this week. So, uh, And it showed up in the Discord and it showed up in our Facebook group. So it should be discussed. Um, Rescue dog treated in rare case of alcohol addiction and withdrawal after owner <laughs> dies. Wow. Yeah. That's not funny. It's not. That's it's actually kind of sad. A labrador mix in Plymouth, Western England, has had to be treated for alcoholism after he was taken into a rescue shelter following the death of his owner. Uh, Coco is a two-year-old male who arrived at the center very unwell and having fits. Um, mm. He and another dog that he came in with were treated by an emergency vet. His drinking buddy, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. He, he didn't make it, though. After arriving uh. with his canine pal following the death of his owner, he and his co companion became quickly unwell. Coco's friend was reportedly <laughs> fitting, I guess having fits, and soon after, Coco also started to fit. 
said Woodside Animal Welfare Trust. I'm guessing this article is from England. Yes. Sadly, the dog he came in with died despite the best efforts of the vets he was treated by. Um, Coco, though, had to be sedated for four weeks to manage his withdrawal symptoms. Jesus. I don't know. Did they give Coco benzos or did they (laughs) then titrate him off? Or was he like... uh, Probably Valium, yeah. Uh, but despite Coco's unusual and extraordinary condition, he is now off all medication and starting a new life. He has to attend 90 meetings in 90 days. <laughs> the dog? No, I'm kidding. Oh, I, was like, That's I was joking about that. Um, <laughs> physically, he seems to have recovered. Mentally, he is still very anxious at times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, you see that? Even dogs um, shouldn't drink. The dogs became dependent on alcohol when their owner left out drinks before he went to sleep, reported the Telegraph. Like, wow. Was he like leaving out like, Coco, here's a pina colada or a rum and coke. I've heard of people doing this, or maybe I saw it on a TV show or something where they would, it was always like a funny thing. Like the dog, they'd pour beer in the, the dog bowl and the dog would drink it and be silly. Yeah. Um, that sounds really like horrible abuse of, of a dog. I mean, I get that you want a drinking companion, but and, and like your dog is your friend, but really, please don't give liquor to your dog. This is too far, guys. Yeah. The cats is another thing. They do what they want. Right. I don't tell them what to do if they want to drink. They're cats. No one knows the specifics on how these dogs got into the situation with alcohol. Isn't that always the case? One, <laughs> a couple days, it's just a, a nip out of the water bowl that your your owner pours a beer in, and the next thing you know, you're you're raiding dad's liquor cabinet for the rum. <laughs> it happened so fast. Um, without care, Coco would likely have not survived this heartbreaking deal they wow. are looking for someone to give him a loving home locally at the shelter so they can monitor his well-being going forward so um well i wonder if he should be adopted by someone in a uh, alcohol use disorder program I, they could go to meetings together that is a great yeah, idea coco could eat drink the coffee maybe he could make coffee at the meetings yeah if you would like to adopt coco and take them to uh meetings don't write me because i don't too. right <laughs> I don't know how to get in touch with Coco, but I here's hoping that Coco is living his best life, uh, free from the bonds of and scourge of alcohol use disorder. Take it one day at a time, Coco. Yeah, all right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. You got one, or you not got one? I I got something special. I have not previewed it, but does it require the music? Uh, weak and weird. Uh, Bigfoot filmed in New Hampshire forest? It's a question. By Tim Banal. A woman walking her dog in a wooded area of New Hampshire captured footage of a large bipedal figure passing through the forest, and some suspect that curious interloper may have been, who else? Bigfoot. Of course. The intriguing video was recently shared with the Rocky Mountain Sasquatch organization by a friend of the witness who explained that the encounter occurred near the town of Bartlett. According to this individual, as the woman and her dog made their way through Coco? the woods. Was it Coco? It was Coco. <laughs> dog, Coco. The large Mastiff, Mastiff mix suddenly began to, Not quote, Coco. act very out of character as it this was... This New Hampshire. It's, know, not, it's, it's so much fucking afraid. Alabama. It was almost afraid and refused to go any further. Eerily, the witness is said to have noticed a putrid smell that she likened to a dead and decaying body mm. and subsequently caught a glimpse of something which caused her to start filming with her cell phone. 
In the woman's video, a bipedal figure rather swiftly walks across the woods just a few feet ahead of her as she seemingly crouches behind the branch of a tree so as not to be noticed. Although the footage is disappointingly short, it does provide a fairly good look at the anomalous being, which appears to be a humanoid in nature, rather than a bear or some other forest denizen briefly walking on two legs. <laughs> One particularly noteworthy aspect of the woman's experience is the unsettling smell that emerged just prior to her sighting, as a similar foul scent has been reported by many Bigfoot witnesses. That said... They're probably just catching a whiff of their own fucking underarms. They, well, they don't shower. That said, it upon another person passing through the woods as the figure's gait does resemble that of a human and that they may simply be wearing a dark hooded piece of clothing. It's just some smelly dude who lives in a trailer in the woods. Should that be the case, the encounter may actually be creepier than if she had bumped into Bigfoot. What do you think? I think uh, it's probably a bear. Yeah, you know... It, I what think, do you think? Well, look, the, the smell... People do report a putrid... People to smell. Uh -huh. Anytime people talk about Bigfoot, they go, it smelled, you know. So if you can imagine these big feet walking around. You think it's the feet bathing. that smell? I think it's the hair. And yeah. it's just like a long-haired dog that gets wet. And putrid never, smell. Putrid. So, um, How come we never go squatching? I think it's time to go squatching. We need to go up to the like the Adirondacks and go Sasquatching. Yeah. I RMA trip to Squatch. That'll be the first RMA retreat going Squatching. <laughs> we could call it a hike, but we're really looking for Sasquatch. Looking for Squatch. 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 Right. Weak and weird. Uh, yes. All right. All right. Well. We're done. Does that about do it for today? I'm done. I know I had a good time. Did you? Better than I expected, to be honest. You did. <laughs> Considering we kind of put this one together with... Chewing gum and bailing wire. Well, that's all you have sometimes. Uh, support your favorite show. Drop a five-star review on Apple iTunes. Please. Um, yeah. Um, tweet us at twat. You twit on Twitter. Right. And that's where you do that. Just simply say hello. Stop by at Facebook. We have a private chat group where we support each other's recovery, post funny memes, and just kind of say hello, get news about the show. Uh, join us on uh, patreon.com slash Recovery in the Middle Ages uh, to join the Inner Sanctum in the Discord chat, and we um, will be that? there. So, uh, as we say, non profit perfecto. <laughs> Progress, not perfection. See you next time. Stay fresh, cheese bags. Be, be good. good.